Welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. As always, we bring you real topics relating to the criminal justice system, providing both insights and solutions. Today, our guest is a power broker in the field, having herself been incarcerated after serving eight years in federal prison. She is the executive director of a beautiful heart ministry, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to improve the quality of life formerly incarcerated women and girls. Since her release in March of 2019, she has demonstrated what it means to successfully re-enter society. With her hands in several different ventures, she is all about showing up in the fight for criminal justice. Her personal experience has prepared her for the work she now does, bringing creative ideas and fresh perspectives to the table. Her most recent goals center around providing alternatives to incarceration so that families remain intact and community are not uprooted by the loss of its members. We welcome to the show Ms. Clover A. Perez. Thank you, sister, for joining us today, and how are you? Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Philip. I am truly honored to be here. Thank you for all that you're doing and for this opportunity to be on your platform. I am super proud of you and all that you're doing to elevate the voices of so many that are impacted by the criminal legal system and as well as bringing awareness to the epidemic of mass incarceration in this country. I salute you, my brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you're doing. You're so very welcome and I salute you as well. Uh, we all do our part. I'm just grateful to have you here today. We've been waiting to talk to you for some time. So thank you again for joining us. Tell us uh, where you are from and a little bit about your background. Sure, sure. So I live in New York. I am the founder, as you said, an executive director of a Beautiful Heart Ministry, ABHM. And a Beautiful Heart Ministry is a re-entry um, organization that provides uh, resources um, to justice-impacted women and girls. I am a justice scholar at Columbia University. I am an ambassador of the Susan K. Coleman Foundation, the empathy leader of New York. I just got my doctorate degree in theology, and I am also a formerly incarcerated woman. But above all the aforementioned, I am, I consider myself a child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you very much for that. And I want to say, uh, my apologies, Dr. Perez. <laughs> okay. You want to definitely make sure that we put that out there because we're going to you in no kind of way up on this show. <laughs> Okay. It's, it's been a long time coming and it's finally here. So yes, yes. <laughs> but thank you. But it's okay. You don't have to call me Dr. Perez. You could call me Clover. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just making sure because I want to address you correctly. Tell us why you were sent to prison and what that experience was like for you. Wow. Oh, wow. So I was um, found guilty for immigration fraud. I had my own um, business that I was doing um, immigration work for people um, that came into the country illegally or came into the country legally and overstayed their time. There was, it was an amnesty program that um, came out in 2000, no, in 1984. At that time, I wasn't doing immigration work. And what happened, they had an influx of application put in immigration at that time was the um, immigration and naturalization services. So they did not have enough green cards to issue. They closed the program down the people filed a lawsuit immigration had to reopen back up that program or refund the um the clients their um, money they decided that they would re um, reopen the app um, application process in 2004 that's when i was started doing immigration work i filed the application on behalf of my clients and um they was going through the same thing you know 
not getting their paperwork together, not getting green cards, not getting work permit, no fault of mine, but because of immigration. So what happened, um, immigration says that the application that was sent in was fraudulent application. And all the attorneys, all the folks that was doing immigration work um, um, got arrested. And I was one of them that was arrested and sent to prison for immigration fraud. No good deed goes unpunished. That's all I can say. Um, because well, we always try to help people. And when we do certain things and we come up short, it's not for a lack of good intention. So I appreciate you sharing that. I know sometimes you know, it's hard to talk about certain things. It's hard to relive the past, but let me just be clear about something. So I, by no means, want to pretend that I was innocent. I was not, you know, so I want to put that out there. I knew what I was doing, but I was trying to be helpful. And, um, you know, I, I committed a crime and I was incarcerated for it. So I'm not upset about that. You know, I did the time. I was just more so um, upset because of the, the, the length of the time. That was it. But, you know, my time in Danbury, you know, was very fruitful. I, you know, was able to draw closer to God. I was able to help more people, you know, and just it, this, the whole experience, I should say, has been an eye opener as to exactly everything that was happening in this country that I didn't know prior to my incarceration. Wow, when you take responsibility, that is always commendable. Now, I definitely feel my hat to you for that, for you clarifying that for So while you were in, how did you spend your time? Because eight years is a long time. A lot of people may not be able to do that. So we want to know, what were you doing inside and how did you spend your time? So, um, yeah, I had a routine, you know. 10 years is a long time. And, you know, you have to really decide either you're going to try to live your life on the outside, right? Or try to make the most of the situation. And that's what I did, you know, not to say that I didn't keep abreast of everything that was going out on the outside. I wanted to be aware of what was going on. So when I came home, my re-entry would be um, much, uh, you know, more seamless. However, I spend most of my time um, praying, fasting, exercising, you know, just doing as much as I um, could with the situation. And um, as I said, you know, it, you know, it has been an eye opener. I didn't, I didn't even know that prison was the way it was, you know, I, that was my first time being in prison. So for me, it was very, very difficult um, being away from my family. But what really shocked me the most were, you know, the people that were incarcerated, the crimes that they were incarcerated for, you know, not understanding why the system that was supposed to be fair, at least I thought it was fair, you know, and they could incarcerate so many, um, so many people, you know, I cried for those, the, the ladies that I came across. Um, I cried for myself. I cried for, you know, my um, son. I cried for my grandkids, you know, because if the system could incarcerate so many people for petty crimes that, could have been taken care of, you know, with other alternative to incarceration, then, you know, that would have been a better solution than sending them to prison. So if that could happen to me, you know, that's the, what's the likelihood that it could not happen to, you know, my family member, you know, my friends. So it was a, it was an eye opener, but I tried to make the most of it. I learned a lot. I started, um, you know, the foray, I should say of my advocacy work started while I was incarcerated um, because it was just, um, sad to see what was happening. And I didn't feel that, you know, I felt like I should say that if I left prison and did not accomplish anything while I was there, then, you know, it would have gone to waste. And I did not want 
my trauma to go to waste. I had to make sure that I made my trauma work for me. That's awesome. And that's why you're a model for a lot of people that are in so they can see just because you're in doesn't mean um, that you cannot spend your time doing constructive and productive things. I know that you have a lot going on out there and you're out, but what all do you have a hand in? Because I know they do uh, a lot of different projects. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, um, Philip, that's interesting. Um, it's a shame when someone goes to prison, right? And come home and then pretend that it didn't happen. And I did not want to be one of those that came home and just hide, you know, hide behind my, in or in a door or hide in my house or hide behind my shame. You know, I did not want to be one of those people. I wanted to make, as I said, my trauma work for me. I wanted to bring awareness to what was happening in prison. I wanted to bring awareness to what the prosecutors were doing. I wanted to bring awareness to what the judge was doing. I wanted to bring awareness overall to how many people this country incarcerated. So with that, I started a Beautiful Heart Ministries. Beautiful Heart Ministries, basically, it provides services to um, women and girls, because I believe that the first 72 hours, you know, upon release is very important to tap into those women, into those young girls to make sure that they have all the resources that they need to have a successful re-entry. So initially, we, I started out dropping off care packages at the halfway houses to make sure that they have, you know, their toiletries to make sure that they have clothing for job interviews to make sure that they have a cell phone because something simple as a cell phone not having one to be in contact with the halfway house when you leave to go on any interviews or to even go on a family visit and you don't have a phone to keep in contact that can violate you and you can go back to prison so i started that you know and my services expanded you know giving um re-entry courses uh, job in job placement services. And recently we just launched a ATI program, which we have partnered with the uh, Manhattan district attorney's office and the center of court innovations to provide alternative um, to incarceration. And what that looks like is, you know, immediately when someone is arrested, they have an advocate at their disposal, right? We will go through their records. We will check their background. We will speak to their family members, right? Something that probation normally do when they are, um, you know, coming together with their pre-sentence report. No, we do it at the onset of the arrest to make sure that we dig through or we through every single thing that happened in their life to see if that could be the reason why they create that they that they committed that crime. And if it's so, we make recommendations as to what program, whether it may be a drug program, whether it may be a trauma program, whether that person, you know, um, is a mother and did not have money to go on a job interview and she jumped the turnstile. You know, we want to find out all these intricate details about that person to make an informed decision as to the program that we believe that person would benefit from. And then we give it back to the Center of Court Innovation and then they will um, forward it back to us if they agree with our recommendation and we place them into these um, programs so they can um, be successful without going to prison. I'm doing great work and there's a real need for that. So what are your thoughts on the current system of justice in this country? What changes or changes would you like to make or be made in the system? Wow, that's a great question. And one that is often asked by many, in, you know, 
with and many people with different opinions. But let me be clear, clear about this, right? The American criminal justice system is rotten to the core, period. And people need to understand that. You know, oftentimes we hear that the, the system is broken, but is it really when you think about it? I don't think so. That is doing exactly what it was designed to do. It's a form of slavery. When you look at the totality of black and brown folks that are incarcerated and the long sentences and disparity, right? You can only say that the system is deeply entrenched with systematic racism. And um, oftentimes communities of color bear the brunt of that injustice. Why? Because some lives are considered more sacred than others. And that's just a sad situation, but it's so in this country, right? And we know that. I believe in dealing with the root causes of crime. And that's why, you know, the alternative to incarceration program that my organization um, does, it's looking at the root um, causes of crime. And I, we see prevention as the most important function of the criminal justice system. So, you know, I often hear people say, well, you saying that because you were incarcerated. No, I am not saying that because I was incarcerated because I am also a victim of crime. You know, my oldest son was killed by three young boys. One of them was recently was recently released from incarceration, you know, and I believe that had these young boys had a, a support system, you know, had, you know, programs to deal with whatever that they were going through, that my son would be alive today. So I stand on prevention and finding out what are the root causes of crime. I don't believe in sending people to prison. That is so powerful. I'm so glad I said that because I often time when I speak to college students, I tell them that when there's a person that's young, a person whose brain isn't fully developed, uh, what's needed is not so much uh, a punishment for a crime. Right. So the youth that we're talking about, so there's trouble. Why aren't we addressing their problem before they actually pick up a weapon or go and hurt someone or take a person's life? You know what I'm saying? That is so true. That is so true. And, you know, as a country, um, Philip, we have a choice, right? We can continue to, you know, spend our tax dollars on pointless incarceration or we can seek out solutions to the problem. But as you know, that's another topic for another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we ain't leaving no stone unturned. Right about that. What'd you say? I said, you're right about that. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, what are some other ventures you are currently working on? Wow. So outside of the, um, you know, the alternative to incarceration um, program that we have that's going on with um, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the Center of Court Innovation, I also treat, um, teach a trauma care curriculum that I created and I teach it to justice impacted women and girls for the Brooklyn um, DA's office. We're also looking to expand the um, ATI program to um, Nassau County. Okay, 60 seconds remaining. Nassau County and um, Suffolk County as well. And in addition to that, we are working on um, something for solitary confinement. So we're going to pick up on the other side. If this program has more destroyed, or we'll continue our conversation back in a minute. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. 
Visit GrantParoleToPhillips.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Phillips. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, Behind and Beyond. This call will be recorded and monitored. Thank you. We're back on the other side with Clover. Is there anything else that you wanted to add your last uh, question? No, it's, um, you know, we are just trying to come up, Philip, with um, solutions, right? Solutions that would be can be used as preventive measures. Again, as I said, I don't believe that. I don't believe in prison. I really don't. And um, could I, would I have said that probably about over 10 years ago, I should say? Um, probably not, right? Because I was not aware of what was happening in this country, but it took my incarceration to, you know, open up my eyes and open up the eyes of my family member as well to see, you know, what was going on in a country that I live. And as I always say to people, I said, you know, if you were diagnosed for uh, uh, an illness, right, you don't just want to take your doctor's opinion. You're going to do your own research, right? You're going to want to know if there's other um, solutions, other things that you can do, other recourses, right? And when we live in a country, we need to be able to do things as like that as well. Not to just sit back and not know what is happening in this country, because I, I believe it or not, incarceration can happen to anyone. We know that someone can just be on their cell phone, just picking up the cell phone and, you know, accidentally hit someone and they end up in prison. Why? Because they were on the cell phone. So it's not for anyone to judge. It's not up to anyone to just always look at what the media says about, you know, folks that go to prison, because we already know that the media portrays people that go to prison as, you know, heartless or monsters. We're not. We're human beings who made a mistake, right? And oftentimes we just want to go if we have to go and do our time and come home and, you know, connect back with com with our communities. But society want to exclude us, right? They want to treat us as second-class citizens. But I'm here to say that, you know what, we don't have to take that. We really and truly do not have to take that because we did our time, right? And we are home. It's up to us to demand what belongs to us, right? Our citizenship belongs to us, right? Our freedom belongs to us. Things that are taken away from us belong that does not you know does that's not someone give to us i should say it's not given to us it belongs to us and we need to seek out those things we need to claim them so you know and, and with that i'm just trying to create um solutions to the problem you know to make sure that everyone have a, a chance you know everyone have a chance to win powerful powerful words spoken definitely we have become normalized in our incarcerated state and what i mean by that is that it's so prevalent in our country that we feel that when people go to prison, it's not uh, anything big or spectacular. So we've normalized it, desensitized ourselves to it, but it's a human toll said about, you don't believe in prison. And sometimes when I talk to group, they say stuff like, well, if someone does a crime or if someone does some harm or to reflect on this, if prison is the solution, then the recidivism rate wouldn't be fixed. And so we must come up with other means and alternatives to save people and make them whole again. We talk about uh, versus throwing away people from 
from our society. So I know this is an interview is about this. So I just wanted to reel it back in, but I also had to say that because that's a powerful point that could be left off in a listener's mind before we go. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, you know what? Um, prison for me is not a place of rehabilitation. It's a place of, of confusion. That So that's it. Point blank. It's a place of confusion. And I hear what you said. You know, the questions asked, if someone commit a heinous crime, what should be happening? What should happen to that person? And I think that, you know, that question is oftentimes asked, you know, and that's why prison is is here. People believe that, you know, we cannot uh, get rid of prison because what happens? But I believe that if someone commit a, a heinous crime, I don't believe that they belong in prison. I believe I believe that they belong in some some form of mental institution where they can get the proper help. You know, I always said I don't believe anyone just wake up in the morning and says I'm going to commit a crime today. Only a sick person would do that, right? And they need help. They need yeah. psychological help. And you already know from your experience, I know from my experience that we're not getting that help in prison, right? We really not. So you know, and so if you're sending someone who committed a crime and need mental help, mental Held to prison, not only are you putting other people that don't suffer from mental health um, issues at risk, right? You that's what you're doing, but you're classing everybody because they look at us all as a number, and that that's it. They become very desensitized, and to them, we're not human beings, and that's how they treat us. Absolutely, and that needs to change. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to take away from this interview? Oh, yeah. So I, I just want people to know that you know, incarceration, as I said, can happen to anyone. No one is exempt, right? We, as we can see, we have folks who have languished in prison for years that are innocent. You know, we need to get out there. We need to vote, right? Vote for people who can make changes. Our vote actually can change who's in office, right? Voters can move the needle on sentencing reform, police oversight and due process. So we need to go out there and do our part and be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I like that very much. It brings me to mind when you talk about innocent or guilty in this country. Uh, that's what second chances is all about. This is supposed to be a nation of second chances. And some people haven't had first chances. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I hope that we'll take something away from that. It's not always be the first choice. Lock them up or throw away because there's nobody uh, without flaw. And there's nobody who has never made a mistake in life. Some greater than others. But thanks so much for that answer because you hit it on the nose again. And I love what you said. So the last thing I want to know is how does anyone get a hold of you if they want to know either donate or get involved in the work that you guys are over there doing? Well, I think everybody probably knows who I am. I have a big mouth. But <laughs> to answer your question, so um, if you want to know, if someone wants to know more about the Beautiful Heart Ministries, they can um, just go on our website, which is a Beautiful Heart Ministries dot org or beautifulheartministries.com. We're also on a social media platform as a beautiful heart ministries on Twitter is ABHM Ministries. And uh, we also have a telephone number, which is 516-601-3390. They can always reach out to us and, or as I said, visit us on, on social media. Thank you, Clover, for doing the show. I look forward to what's next for you on your endeavors. Uh, please keep us posted. Uh, please come on the show anytime when you start doing a project. We are always wanting to be involved at some level, partner up, whatever it may be. But thank you a lot. The interview was powerful. And thank you so much again for having me. Um, I just want you to keep your head up and know that I am praying for you and you're going to get your break soon. You will get your break soon. And I know that if, if the great work that you're doing on the inside, I can just only imagine your greatness on the outside. Oh, thank you so much for 
that. I appreciate it. God willing, you know what I'm saying? I'm doing what I got to do. It also brings people awareness to a lot of the things that's going on in our system. So have a great day. Uh, we'll keep in touch. And thank you so much for coming on. All right. Same to you, Philip. God bless you. Take care. As always, I want to give a special thanks to our listeners for your continued support of The Wall Behind and Beyond. And if you haven't already, I ask that you go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Wall Behind and Beyond. We want to be able to notify you every week when a new episode drops so you get exclusive access. Also, share the episode that you like with friends and post our links on your socials. You guys are the show. And as we grow, we will bring you more quality content. Remember, I am because we are. If you want to get a hold of me direct, I can be reached via email at www.jpay.com 881-507, Washington State. Take care, everyone, and be well.